0: I never have to stay away, man. I never have to wonder if I'm welcome at his table. I never have to ask if, if I'm still his. I never have to wonder how he's looking at me. I, that thought, dude, I just can't, I just can't get, I can't get away from it, you know? And that, so yeah, 100% of like knowing not only does he know the sorrow that he, he was abandoned by his people, that he was lonely, that he was in grief, that nobody around him could understand to the point of of feeling like he was going to die before he even had to go die. He gets that. He, as my sympathetic high priest, he understands all of that. But not only does he understand, he offers his comfort in the middle of it. Yeah, man, I mean, I, I do feel seen by him.
1: Hey, y'all, what's good? Here we are with another day and another episode of the Pilgrimage Podcast. I'm your host, Zeru Fitzsim, and we got a dope, great guest on the show for you today. Our guest today is somebody I call Brother Jerry. I met him a few years ago in a town called Hannibal, Missouri. I don't know if y'all have heard about my history with that town yet, but I went there for college, it's Mark Twain's childhood area, and yeah, we uh, Jerry and I we did some work together. I, I flew over to Asia a couple years back. I lived there for about two months. We got to chop it up several times. And something I've always felt about this man is that he is filled with compassion, with conviction, with love for God and love for people. So thank you so much for coming on, Brother Jerry.
0: Man, thanks. It's an honor. I'm glad it's my turn.
1: <laughs> Man, as, as am I, as am I. Yo, I wanted uh, to get you on the podcast because you preached a sermon that was on Hebrews 2, and you were talking about the help of Christ. It was a Christmas message speaking about the incarnation and mm-hmm. our our fear of death and what Christ mm-hmm. has done for death um through his death and but there's there's this part in the passage where it says and he does not reach out to angels he he reaches out to us right like mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. humans the the those who share in his flesh and blood so i wanted to kind of pull you on this podcast and speak about in relation to your own pilgrimage, what the help of Christ has looked like. And from, in, in terms of like, cause in your sermon, you are talking about our tendency towards self-reliance. We're so committed to, and we're so um, convicted that if we could just make things happen, if we can just manage things and shift them around, they will be better. But the actual posture that's better is dependence, even Mm -hmm. though that's Mm -hmm. scary. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your own pilgrimage from self-reliance to dependence in that context.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, uh, I'll be the first to say I have not gotten it figured out. It's Mm -hmm. still a daily battle. Uh, my my tendency to pull away from God and his people is pretty pronounced, but I, but I got it early, man. I learned it young. Uh, my, my mom is the toughest person I've ever met. My dad died uh, before I was born and my mom never remarried. And so she raised me uh, by herself on not a lot of money but she is the hardest working uh, toughest person I, I've ever known but I, but because I didn't have brothers and sisters because it was just me and her I learned to spend a lot of time by myself um, my my people I'm from Kentucky and my people are, are farmers and, and blue-collar folks so hard works a big deal like mm-hmm. in in my family uh, righteousness comes through being a hard worker so, so my mom my mom's thing always growing up was like man now he's not he's not the nicest guy, but he's a hard worker, and so it could be like he's a serial killer, but he'll put in a good twelve-hour workday. So you got to give him some grace, you know. And so, uh, I mean, I, I got it early. Like work ethic was was the thing. And so, in school, I knew that we didn't have money to send me to college, and so I had to work hard. I was going to need to to do that to get a scholarship. And and I and I wanted friends, honestly, but but not a lot of friends wanted me. If you know what I'm saying. And so um, I, I I just learned to to do my own thing for the most part. And then I got to college and uh, like you went to a small college uh, where um, it was easier to, to make friends and, and meet people. But for the first time, somebody said like, you could be a leader. Like I don't, I don't know exactly what that means, but, but I'm down. And so I, I worked even harder to distinguish myself and kind of surrounded myself with a bunch of guys who were, we were kind of just all using each other to become awesome. A, a lot of ego not a lot of Jesus-like sacrifice or love for each other. But like, I don't think any, any of us at the time were like intentionally stepping on each other, but we were always trying to one-up each other, if, if that makes sense. And yeah. So um, yeah. God real, my second semester of college, um, God started moving me toward vocational ministry. And so w- my picture of that was like, I've got to be able to do it all. I've got to be able to preach and teach and administrate. Uh, but very quickly, excuse me, very quickly learned that I, I couldn't um, so much so that the first Christmas I was at that church, I'll never forget, man, that one of our youth volunteers bought me a planner. And she's like, now I know you don't know how to use this, but we need you to learn how to use this because you left the kid at a kid at an amusement park this year and you cannot do this again. We've got to learn to help you plan some stuff. So I'm like, oh, I mean, that sounds great. Um, and so um, even early on, I realized that I couldn't be good at everything, but the Lord was providing people who were good in those areas. So some of those things were skills that I had to learn, but a lot of times it was like, man, let me just empower this person to do the thing that they love doing, and I can do the thing that God's made me to do. And so I, I would say a big part of moving away from independence and self reliance for me has been realized realizing that God gave us the body of Christ yeah. that that not everybody's an eye and not everybody's a foot, and that. I don't have to be able to do everything. Um, and, and honestly, like as my ego took more and more hits, I realized that I needed to listen to some other people more. And, and, I, and so I, I think now, and you know, in middle age, <laughs> I'm a lot more comfortable uh, leaning on other people and listening to other people than I ever was earlier on in my journey because I, I really was convinced that I could probably be the guy that does it all. I can probably be the one who can just strengthen my weaknesses till I don't have any anymore. Mm. But man, God in His kindness doesn't let us live that way. He gives us weakness, so we'll depend on Him and His people. And I think in my journey, it was really easy for me to see I needed the Lord. It was much harder for me to see I needed others. Mm. And so God, God had to to bring me to place after place and mistake after mistake, honestly, before I was willing to look around and realize, oh no, God put these people here because I actually need them in my life. I, I don't need the perfect version of community that I've got in my mind. I need the actual ones that are sitting here in front of me. And, and that truth honestly has, has probably been the biggest thing that the Lord's used uh, to strip me of some self-reliance
1: when you started learning, all right, I don't just need the Lord, I need people to when the rubber like met the road and you were being pushed to depend on others more, how would that manifest itself when you didn't like it? Would you show externally? Uh, Would it show up in pride? Would you become more silent around people? Yeah. Like how how was becoming more comfortable with dependence on others like for you?
0: Yeah, so I mean, the Lord, the Lord gave me three bosses in a row mm-hmm. that I didn't want, <laughs> and so you kind of either have a choice to learn to submit to authority, um, or to get fired. <laughs> Basically, it was like my options, you know. And I, and I was I was poor, and I needed the money, and so I didn't want to get fired. And so um, it, it would probably be a lot of rebelling internally and telling the Lord, I know I'm smarter than these people, but I'll, I'll submit to them because you said I have to. Uh, but then, man, as I did that magically in the way that he does, I, the Lord allowed me to actually learn from those people that I didn't think I had anything to learn from. And to in, in having a posture of submission and a willingness to not have to, to be it, it all and do it all and know it all. I think the three temptations that all of us have struggled with since the garden. You know, Zach Eswine in um, in his book Sensing Jesus, which I think is called the Imperfect Pastor, now mm-hmm. um, says that's the biggest temptation for people in ministry to feel like we have to be everywhere and and do, know everything and be able to do everything. And because of that, ministry runs us into the ground time after time. I mean, if mm-hmm. COVID's taught us anything, right, it's that man, we cannot do it all. And we can't be everywhere. And so I think, um, I would run myself ragged. I would work 16, 18 hours a day to try to produce, and then I'd be exhausted. And then I'd start sinning because I was more exhausted, you know, and, and it became this vicious kind of downward spiral of, man, I, I really physically can't do it all. I I gained like a hundred pounds in seminary while I was going to seminary full-time and working full-time. Um, Because you're not supposed to do both of those things full time. God didn't make us to be able to do that, you know. And so I think the Lord allowed me to because I had a, a pretty strong work ethic, allowed me to burn out pretty good and get sick honestly, physically sick um, before I realized, okay, I've got to learn to equip and release some people to do the things that I can't do. And, And then seeing that in the word, seeing that according to Ephesians 4, that's the actual job of pastors and ministers is to equip the people for the works of service. So that doesn't mean that we have to be able to do everything, but that we are empower other people to do the work of the ministry and that was a liberating truth and not just because I wanted to be a great leader uh, I kind of got past that uh, I, earlier on I think but because I really believe that God wanted to release people to do things for his kingdom and, and see the kingdom built through through the body not just rock stars you know
1: yeah no that's that's powerful man I want to I want to ask you, I want to hit a little bit on what it looked like to listen to those that you didn't want to listen to, because I feel Mm -hmm. like just as a person uh, who talks a lot, it's already hard enough for me, folks like me to listen to folks we want to listen to. You know what I mean? So to to find yourself in a place uh, where you're listening to bosses that you didn't really want and you're learning to submit, embracing the personalities of folks that really just don't sit well with you. How did that translate to you to listening to folks you didn't necessarily want to listen to, but their their yes or no didn't really didn't have a stake in your livelihood? You know what I'm saying? Because I wonder how much does that make sense?
0: Yeah, man. I mean, I, I, I feel like so. So my my spiritual gifts are, are teaching primarily and, and pastoring. But when when I when I lean too heavy on the teaching side and on the knowledge side, like I want to have my theology all buttoned up, you know, and ha- have a nice, neat package. Uh, I, I thought I had it pretty clear at like mid 20s, you know, and so um, I think it was easier for me to listen to and submit to people in authority than it was to people that I disagreed with, especially because everything felt of equal importance at that time, you know, that like the Trinity and how you do communion felt exactly the same level of importance because it was all in the Bible. And so therefore it all mattered equally. I had no idea how to do what Dane Orton calls theological triage to to realize what primary and secondary and tertiary issues are and what things don't even matter at all in the in the scheme of things. You know, so I I don't think I was superb. at listening to people at that time. Um, And honestly, probably because I like to hear myself talk a whole lot. Um, So (laughs) that was that was probably the biggest issue of the whole thing is I was still pretty impressed with what I had to say. And so I wasn't a great wasn't a great listener.
1: With um, all this talk on. um, Dependence and coming from a very like blue collar, hardworking uh, just bona fide work ethic and all these things the lord's teaching you as a person who's a father your husband you're a teacher your preacher you're a team leader for many different things what what are the ways self-reliance pops back in your life and in, in those places
0: yeah man i mean so so i've been married uh 12 years now my mm-hmm. wife is is amazing and and one of the things that that Tim Keller says about marriage is when you when you get married, you get another set of lenses to see mm-hmm. the world. And yeah. so, man, it probably took me like eight years because I'm a slow learner to realize, like, I need those lenses all the time. And yeah. so um, I think any time that I am going into a conversation and I don't want to ask my wife what I should say before I get into it, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a sign self-reliance is popping up, wow. you know, um, not just because I like her, but because I need her. Because yeah. God has given me a, a, a person who sees the world differently than me and has different gifts than I do. And I want her to tell me where I'm missing stuff and, mm. and not communi- communicating well. I think it still pops up with um, with not wanting to be under authority. So, so I work overseas. I work for an organization. And, man, uh, times along the way, lots of times I thought, man, I could just quit. And raise my money and stay here without these jokers and do my own thing. And part of the reason that I haven't is because I still need to submit myself to other people. Like the the freelance thing works for some people, but I know my own heart well enough to know I need a boss. Mm-hmm. I, I need somebody to tell me no sometimes when I want to be told yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 then learning from my critics, I think I think I automatically. Self-reliance for me a lot of times looks like a defensive posture. And so it, I, I am not prone to want to listen to people who think I'm not doing things well. But, but I'm trying to learn to, to ask one more question. My wife all the time says, hey, when you think you understand, ask one more question. Yeah. And then when you, after that, ask one more question. And so I'm trying to learn to take that posture, even with people with whom I disagree and then a lot of times that ends up looking like, no man, we're closer than we thought. And and even if we're not, my trust and respect for you has grown. Like in my in my 20s, in my 30s, even probably somewhat in my 40s, I thought nobody could think about the things that I've thought about as hard as I've thought about them and come to a different conclusion. So if I can just teach them well enough, hmm. I can convince them. And that's just not the case, man. Like right. Extending the trust of people that like you can, we can think about the same things and you can think about them better than me and come to a different answer. And Mm -hmm. we can both still be fully convinced and still before the Lord stand with a clean conscience. That's been really liberating, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, it looks like self-reliance manifests a lot of times for me in wanting to reject authority, not wanting to listen to people who are closest to me in my life and demonizing people who have different ideas than me. Um, One of my friends who has been a mentor for the last 10 years or so, he says in America, we tend to want to say like, where am I strong? Where am I weak? And how do I strengthen that? But the questions need to be, where am I strong? Where am I weak? And who do I need? Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing that the list of the people on the who I need list Is way longer than I ever realized It's kind of like everybody God's ever brought into my life I need them all You know what I mean?
1: I'm wired. It, like I, I, talking to the people who I live with, uh, one of the 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 wife of the house was sharing with me, Zaru, when you pray, she asked me, when you pray, are you constantly just wondering how God can help you, like do things, how you can improve your strengths, how you can be aware of your weaknesses, or are you asking God to tend to you where you're at? you know what I'm saying? Um, Because God does care about our desires. He cares about where we're wanting to go. But we're not just these producing machines. Uh, We're we're relational creatures who are learning the pilgrimage to surrender every day of our lives, um, whether we submit to it, or whether it's something that happens to us. And so just as I was listening to you talk I wonder how much of these lessons of liberation that come from listening to people have come from, I don't want to project, but do you feel like that's come from just an opening of yourself to God and feeling the Lord tend to you that it's all going to be okay if it didn't go your way and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, man. So we've, I mean, our our story is, you know, well, but your listeners may not like our story is that. We spent 17 years uh, in East Asia. My wife and I were there single. We got married and, and then, man, had honestly the best the best life, the best ministry yeah. that I could have imagined, man. Our kids were happy. Uh, we were doing things that mattered and that we loved. We were surrounded by an amazing team and an amazing church, and then we lost it all in 48 hours. We got a call um, that we had to leave due to circumstances beyond our control and, and may never go get to go back. And so people that we had given years of our life to men I haven't talked to in three years and, and, and can't um, for, for various reasons. And so um, before that there was a, a season where lots of people around us were trickling out for, for various reasons beyond their control and and so I, I feel like the Lord started to, make me dependent on people that I wouldn't have wanted to depend on yeah. as he stripped away other people out of our lives. And so some of our closest friends became the people that we wouldn't have chosen, but, but, but we kind of the ones that were left. And, and then through, through the furnace of affliction, man, the Lord, I don't know how to say it any other way, man. Like he saved me. And so uh, my, my best friend, best man in our wedding, uh, about two and a half years ago, Walked away from the Lord and and walked away from his wife and just checked it all out, checked it all in, man. Said, I'm done with with this. And as we started to suffer more than I would have ever chosen, I said, Lord, you've got to keep me. Like I I I am looking at him and that's not the road that I that I want to walk. And you will you keep me? And and I would say. If, the, the Psalms saved our lives in that season like yeah. that that learning how to talk to the Lord through pain especially the Psalms of lament saved our souls and saved our lives and um, in that time we were ripped out of a community that that we had chosen and, and I mean literally people that we had picked to come work alongside us and thrown into places that were not where we would ever have wanted to be and yet through it all, Every step of the way got provided through His people, and so that man, yeah, definitely, that's been a huge part of that. To say, okay, man, if, if God's got somebody in my life who who loves Him and is is in our is in our circle of people, I need to listen to and learn from them. And there, there's a verse in Psalm 16 that says, "As for the saints in the land, they are the." the beautiful ones in whom is all my delight. And and I want to delight in my, in my St. Friends who are in America. I want to delight in my favorite YouTube preachers. I, I don't necessarily want to delight in the guy who doesn't speak the same native language in me as me and, and, and through with whom it's really difficult to communicate, but they're the ones in the land where I'm at today. And so they're the ones that the Lord wants to teach me to delight in and, and abide with. I think mean, that's the, that's the other piece. Like, the idea that um, you never go to the supermarket and see a grape. <laughs> and so Jesus said, like, you abide in me and you'll produce much fruit. And it's not that a, a, a grapevine has one vine. It's all these vines twisted together that are producing all these grapes. And so the idea of Ephesians 4 that we together as God's people, a body of people in a physical place together with other Christians are together growing into mature manhood yeah. blew my mind, man. And, and I was overseas, uh, trying to, to be a part of seeing churches started before I even understood what one really was, that it's, that it's a group of people who together, not me and Jesus, but we and Jesus mm-hmm. are growing together. We are growing into Christ. And, and that thought, uh, I think made changed my life, changed every paradigm that I had about what it meant to be a Christian that I that I could not do this thing alone and that my growth was not detached from the people who were around me. It, it just blew me up, man. It's still blowing me up.
1: Mercy, bro. <laughs> That's uh you use the language of uh you use the illustration where you said it's in the furnace. Of affliction where all these things happen and uh, it can be just as beautiful as it can be complex but I love that that's been part of your journey and it, it seems to be something we learn over and over and over again mm-hmm. in our lives. Um, For, sure. For sure. Yeah are there um, yeah uh, you can if there, there are ways you've already talked about this but I want to ask the question this way with a little bit of a follow-up um, what does embracing the help of others in your life look like? And how has it brought you joy in contrast to embarrassment and resistance? Cause I know when I need help, it can be like really embarrassing, whether it's for the smallest of tasks or the largest of things. I just have this innate desire to be proficient at everything before I even start.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, man. So I, th- I think part of it for me has been realizing there are people who love to do and are gifted to do the things that I'll never love to do or be gifted to do. And so it's not just like I get to offload this stuff, but it's that if I try to do the stuff that they're gifted and good and good at and that the Lord has, has put them here to do, I'm robbing them of joy and power. In their lives. And so like learning to depend on others who are strong when I'm, where I'm weak, uh, uh, learning to, learning to listen to others who, who surprised me that, that, that I could learn from them. And we were talking about this before we got on the podcast, but mm-hmm. the Lord has brought people into our lives who theologically are just so different than us, but, but that I'm learning about joy from in a way that I haven't ever learned from somebody in my stream, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, I, I I think the older I get, I I, I guess, I guess I'll say it this way. Like, I think there are two ways to go as you, as you grow older. One is to become more entrenched in your own beliefs and camp and echo chamber, especially now, man, it's so easy to do. And the other is to realize, you know, my 40 year old self would say some stuff to my 30 year old self that he was wrong on don't even talk about my 20 year old self. Mm-hmm. And so my, my 50 year old self is going to look at me now and say, you didn't have it all together. So why don't I go ahead and live that way? Why don't I go ahead and listen to the people that God's put in my life? Because if they're here, God has something for me to learn from them and maybe something for me to offer to them and in, in, in service and love or in teaching and encouragement. And so, um, Man, it's just a better way to live. I think living because we've lived cross culturally for so long too. Yeah. Yeah. We just have learned things that I never would have thought about. I did not expect to go to a to a communist uh, country where you know less than when we went there, less than five percent of people were Christians, and learn what hospitality actually meant. I did not expect that there. Mm. I did not expect to come here. Uh, in a place where it's like one in 20,000 people know Jesus and learn what it means to greet people and welcome Mm -hmm. people in the ways that we've learned from people who don't even know Jesus. So how much more do I need to be submitting to and learning from my brothers and sisters in Christ?
1: How do you anchor yourself back towards that posture when listening to others does blow up in your face and it, and it <laughs> was like it is like man i should have listened to myself my premonitions were right
0: i think what's the alternative mm. you know like are you are you gonna i'm gonna botch this quote but but the c.s lewis quote of like are you gonna lock your heart up and put it in a box and never love anything because in there it's gonna die Ooh. so so Am I gonna? Am I gonna be open to listening to and learning from people, even though some people along the way have led me astray? Yeah, you know who's led me astray more than them though, me. Okay. <laughs> and so, like, if I stop listening to them and I just keep listening to myself, it's gonna end way worse.
1: That's good, Jerry. That's is... my gosh. Okay. So let's let's talk about this a little bit Uh, as a as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. um, Like this dependence on others language is so important. And I think it feels at least to me, I don't want to speak for others, very readily available, as hard as it can be. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it, It feels much more tangible than this ethereal concept of relying on jesus which was ultimately the one if it wasn't your the thesis it was one of your sub points in the sermon you preached last Mm -hmm. christmas Mm -hmm. so yeah as a christian as christian what does relying upon jesus look like
0: yeah man i mean i i think So I I grew up in a pretty legalistic church, Um, you know, King James only Bible, women don't wear pants or makeup. Nobody has a TV. You're picking up what I'm throwing down. Yeah, yes. And and so so the word to me was used like a bludgeon for the longest time. But then before when I entered college and 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 saw that a relationship with God is actually the thing that matters and intimacy with God is is actually the thing that matters. That, that blew it up for me, and so from that time forward, I mean, being in the Word and in prayer has been a keystone habit and something that, like, I, for whatever reason, man, like by God's grace, that discipline has been there for for a long time. Mm. What hasn't been there is often throughout the day reminding myself to come back to Him, you know, and so spending that thirty minutes in the Word or whatever, and then. The rest of the day, forgetting that he's there to help and that he's present and he's real. And so I, I've i had to try to work to build in shortcuts to okay. throughout the day of of like, how can I get back to him as quickly as possible? So for me, a lot of times that looks like the transitions, whether it's like, OK, I'm getting up to go to the bathroom because mm-hmm. I've been sitting here for two hours cranking out this thing. All right. In that in that two minutes, I'm going to turn back to him because mm-hmm. I know that I know that I can't or I've got to commute Right now I'm driving somewhere I'm walking somewhere. All right. That's the time I'm going to, I'm going to listen to some scripture. I'm going to try to pray. I'm going to have specific things that I'm meditating on to try to get me, get me back to him corporately. Um, I just want to be praying with people as much as I can um, which sounds a lot more spiritual I mean in reality that looks like not that much time so mm-hmm. it, don't uh, don't overspiritualize spiritualize that but but like the idea of, of corporate abiding was not a thing I was ever exposed to mm-hmm. growing up in the church or even as a in the traditional like evangelical circles that I ran in like oh we we like spend time Praying together for specific things, or when I'm when I'm meeting with somebody, we end that time by praying together. That just wasn't a thing. We were all too busy for all that, you know. And so um, I would say anything good that's happened in our life and ministry is a direct result of people praying for it. And I mean, you remember, man, when you came for the summer, like we we tried to bake that in as much as we could into yep. in what we were doing ministry wise because we just knew we'd screw it up if the Lord didn't, didn't rescue us. And so um, in, in the passage in John about abiding, it, it's, it's not rocket science. You know, it's, it's like my words abide in you and you abide in me. It, it's prayer and, the word that keeps us in Christ, but I think the concept of that being a corporate discipline was new to me. And so, yeah. uh, I, individually, I'm trying to build it in throughout the day. But then also with with other people, I, I want that to be a part of what what we're doing together. Yeah.
1: How? Because uh, I think yeah, I I met your wife uh, Sarah in yeah. in East Asia, and she's just superwoman you know what I'm saying how like so you were talking a little bit about corporate prayer and corporate um, disciplines and a corporate abiding that points you back to God in the times you're distracted and not reliant upon Jesus I'm just assuming here maritally um, do you feel like how have you felt Sarah continually draw you back to a place of dependence on Jesus? Cause in my experience, the, the time I got to talk with her, hear her out, she's just like a presence of safety, but also Mm -hmm. a person who just, yeah, like loves Jesus. So I kind of want the listeners to be able to get to know Sarah a little bit through your voice as well.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, so she, she is trained as a biblical counselor. She just finished her degree this year. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of times, um, I just go and I'm like, you got to talk me off the cliff, man. Like, Mm. you know, like just help me, help me not lose it right now, or help me see this situation more clearly. And she's so good at reminding me um, and everybody around her of like, this is what the Lord asks, And this is what he doesn't ask, you know, that his yoke really is easy and his burden really is light. And if that I, if I'm feeling something else or, or, being crushed by something else. It's not his, it's not his. I put that on me or somebody else has put that on me, but it ain't from, from Jesus. And Mm -hmm. so I, I, that's one, one practical way. I think seeing her model it, man, of she is that man. She is a, uh, a non anxious presence. And um, I, I admire her more, more than anybody else in the world because of that. And, and, and like I alluded to earlier, always trying to run by her, Like my default is pretty direct. My default is usually not full of of grace. And so trying to let her always be a filter for me of, hey, push me back to saying this in a gracious way because you're gonna remind me that God has grace for this person that I'm wanting to debate, come at, you know, rebuke, whatever, whatever the word is, Uh, you know, hate, hate tweet. You know, whatever the thing is, whatever that is, she's going to help me. She's going to help me not do that, you know. Mm. So, yeah, she's a gift, man.
1: I want to circle back to something you mentioned earlier, and uh, yeah, we can talk about it in as much of what's appropriate. Were there speaking about traumatic occurrences being removed from a place just in forty-eight hours after being there? Did you say seventeen years?
0: Yeah. So in the country, seventeen years. Our last location, six.
1: Okay. Yes. The, okay. Was that, that trauma, what did it, what did it do to your faith?
0: Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, I really believe I'm speaking hyperbole a lot, but this is not one time that I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. If, If the Psalms were not in the Bible, I don't know that I would be a Christian right now. If, if the Lord did not give us language to speak to him, honestly about where we're at, to, to, to look at uh, the situation in the world and who he says he is and ask, what is this gap? I don't, man, I don't know that I would, I don't know that I'd be following him today. And so there was a period of time where I couldn't read more than like a verse and it was like, read this verse and then complain to the Lord, (laughs) you know? Um, but, Uh, the the book, uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, somebody handed me right when we got out of country and reading through that, seeing that pattern in scripture was amazing. But but I'll tell you what I did, man. You're going to laugh. But I I was seeing a Christian counselor at the time and he was kind of leading me and doing this lament thing. And about four months later, I'm like, hey, dude, I'm not good. Like, I'm still not good. And he goes, hold on a second. Did you think if you lamented well enough, God would just fix it. And I'm like, yeah, that's what he's supposed to do. And he's like, no, 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 no. The goal is worship. Mm -hmm. So if three years from now, you're still balled up in the floor crying about everything that you lost, but you're worshiping through those tears. It wasn't in vain. And bro, I mean, I'll be honest to say like, we, we've been in our new place a year and a half and there are still days where it's like, if somebody says the wrong word or I get a whiff of the wrong spice that came from where we used to live, I'll be on the floor again in tears. Or watching my kids, one of my kids right now, you cannot, you cannot mention about 20 different things from that country without tears flowing immediately, you know, um, from my adopted daughter Mm -hmm. and who's from there. And so, uh, and we worship through that, you know, like, um, one of the things that's been a helpful paradigm is my wife said recently, we don't move in and out of seasons of suffering. I, I would have said, like, as we get older, like, it seems like there's less space between the seasons of suffering. And she's like, no, 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 this whole life is exile. Mm. This, our whole life is wilderness between the time that Jesus saves us and the time that he gets us home. It's wilderness the whole time. And we're just more awake to it than we were before we walked through it before. And so, um, it's not that the suffering has increased. It's just that our awareness of it has grown and our longing for him to, to come back and make all things right. But, but man, I mean, to be honest, like I, I had times where I wanted to leave the faith. I definitely wanted to leave ministry. I I, I got decently far in the Chick-fil-A owner operator <laughs> application, but I don't own nothing. And so they were like, Man, you don't even have a car and you're 43. We can't hire you to run a restaurant. Like what you do, <laughs> no. you know? And so um, so I I mean I I wanted out, but but I Zeru, honestly, I kept coming back to Peter's words, like, where else are we gonna go? There is no other. There is no other choice. He's all we got, man. Like, he's all we got. And he alone has the words of eternal life. And uh, I just don't think there's another option. And, but I didn't come up with that. You know, he anchored me to himself. Like, he's yeah. the one that's kept me. Um, this, there's a quote from, a famous preacher that says, keep trusting in the one who keeps you trusting. And so that was my prayer for the first six months when we left, man, is like, you have got to keep me trusting you because I don't want to. And if you don't keep me, I won't be kept. I'll be just like my best friend. I'll walk away in a second if you don't keep me. And, and to praise him that he has, he and he still is. Um, and And I ain't got nowhere else to go, man. I really don't.
1: Yeah, man, that, uh, I ain't got nowhere else to go, Uh, that passage in John 6 of where else can we go. I have a friend on Twitter. His name's Robert, and he has chronic pain. He has uh, been an atheist. He has lost two sons. And one of the most insightful reflections that I've ever seen him post about all the pain that he's had and that continues to flare up in his body and flare up in his heart is this at least Jesus sees because after that, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. It says not one of these things you have gone through, right. Will not be, uh, I don't, I don't know if it's the 30 fold or 60 fold passage, but you know what I mean? Like all those things you went on, uh, went through in this earth as exiles, as tormented folks, I saw that
0: <laughs> and mm-hmm. so
1: you will find that being with me lamenting on what has happened to you but still trusting that my promises are true still trusting that you can take heart because I have overcome the world is worth it that's mm-hmm. that's like a hell of a call man um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let me ask you this do you uh in, in, in what you've shared uh, just with your story, the words that you say to your children and sn- uh, sniffs you catch in the breeze. Um, do you feel seen by Jesus?
0: Yeah, man. I'm um, the other, the other book, the other, I don't know, podcast too, that the Lord used in that time was gentle and lowly like Mm -hmm. I we were in this place with some other folks who had come out about the same time that we had and I walked downstairs one day and this guy is just weeping man he's a strong dude but he was just in he was a a pile and I'm like what what happened to you man he's like I think I think I'm learning to love Jesus and more than I ever have And then this stuff, like what, what, what's going on? You know? And so he points me to that. He points me to that book. And so I think knowing that Christ is not turned off by our suffering, or even when we're sitting in shame of like, man, part of losing all the opportunity to be with those people again is seeing all the opportunities I missed along the way. And so there's on top of the grief, there's the shame of like, I, I didn't kill it every day. I didn't do the best I could have done. I didn't give it 100%. I didn't share with those people in the in all the ways that I, that I wish I would have. But, yeah. but that I don't have to put distance between me and God because of that, mm-hmm. because Christ has already brought us near. I never have to stay away, man. I never have to wonder if I'm welcome at his table. I never have to ask if if I'm still his. I never have to wonder how he's looking at me. I that thought, dude, I just can't, I just can't get, I can't get away from it, you know? And that, so yeah, 100% of like knowing not only does he know the sorrow that he He was abandoned by his people, that he was lonely, that he was in grief, that nobody around him could understand to the point of of feeling like he was going to die before he even had to go die. He gets that. He, as my sympathetic high priest, he understands all of that. But not only does he understand, he offers his comfort in the middle of it. Yeah, man, I mean, I, I do feel seen by him, and and um, I'm not at a place yet to say I I, I I'm glad it happened or like right, right, I, right. I you know it's like oh man I, I'm sure I sure needed that you know we'd go back tomorrow if we could because mm-hmm. um, my kids they're still a wreck man they you know yeah. like it's still not easy we still don't love it here even though there's every reason to but. The, the intimacy and the 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 love for Christ that's come out of that and for His body, man, the the body has loved us in ways that we never could have known. Um, it's still it's real, real good. Probably still, again, like not yet worth saying. I I gladly trade what we walked through to get that, but but I'm grateful for it and and definitely hundred percent like know that the Lord sees us and is caring, actively caring for us, uh, uh, that he is actively loving us every step of the way.
1: I think it's a huge shift in our pilgrimages when we're able to see that our suffering never requires us to glorify it. You know, Jesus mm-hmm. never expects mm-hmm. us to mm-hmm. glorify the suffering mm-hmm. we have. So mm-hmm. I think it's such mm-hmm. an important revelation and beautiful gift that we can look at all that has happened and cry about it, and even resent it at times. Like you said, if the Psalms weren't here, if not before the Psalms, you don't even know if you'd be a Christian. Why? Because there's an allowance. (laughs) There's almost like an allowance of, not almost, there is an allowance of resentment and bitterness um, towards the grief, for the sorrow, for the affliction, and an anger of God. But it's still beautiful because it's brought to God, right? That's that's where... Mm -hmm. That's mm-hmm. where the real relationship is happening. And that's why I think the, the the depth of our sorrows and the truth of Christ's welcome at Christ's table, always for his own is beautiful. I I'm not going to lie to you, man. One of the passages that I think has kept me and it's like, it's not, this text isn't, isn't even about me. It's not, talking to me but i find much solace in is when jesus is talking to peter right Mm -hmm. and he says hey man satan is out there trying to sift you like wheat Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he says Mm -hmm. but i have prayed for you Mm -hmm. i think to intermingle my pilgrimage with yours a little bit when i find myself um tempted to only look at my life as a failure due to shame for rebellion, continual sin, um, hurt, right? Um, mm-hmm. Suffering. Mm-hmm. All that I have done wrong, even the things I've done against God, have not kept Jesus from praying for me. Like I've, I've, I've just I've kind of appropriated and co-opted that text <laughs> and found yeah. comfort That's in that good. Christ That's intercedes. Really in that christ intercedes and i feel like that that gift of knowing even someone who has made uh pretty like dubious promises saying like we would we would never run away we would never do such things in fact i would cut off an ear for you jesus <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, I, I'll, I'll find all these external ways to show you my loyalty and at the end of the day being proven wrong one of the biggest fears i've had in my life is that my faith ends up being proven disingenuous and no matter mm-hmm. the degree of my failure christ has prayed for me
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: whether i've felt it or yeah. not and um yeah. and yeah that doesn't that doesn't take away from the pain of what I've been through of what yeah. I felt I've put others through, but it does, rem- yeah. it does mean that Jesus is sympathetic. It doesn't mean he is yeah. a high priest who is um, at his throne of grace, ready to accept those in need. And we are always in need. Um, yeah, bro. Uh, would you, do you have any words of encouragement towards those who are inclined towards self-reliance that you could Mm -hmm. maybe point them towards some beauty on their own pilgrimages, uh, from, from your, from your experience.
0: Man. Yeah. Um, I I don't know why this memory has been in my mind all week, but I, I remember when I was younger and I went to this conference and this, this dude was speaking and he was really gifted Went up to back to the thing and I said hey man um, how do you stay humble mm-hmm. and he looked at me like I had two heads and he was like well well man I'm in, I'm in the Bible yeah, yeah I, know, I know I read the Bible too but um, what else do you do and he's like well well I got some I got some guys in my life and and like they call out sin I'm like yeah yeah accountability. I got that man what else do you do <laughs> and he and he was like if man if you don't know I can't help you basically, you know? And like his, his posture was one of like, I can't imagine not being humble because I know my own stuff, you know? And so I, I think that that prayer of David of like, search me, O Lord, and know my heart, <laughs> try, try me and see if there's a wicked way in me. Like it, for those of us who, who maybe are a little bit unaware of our weaknesses to ask the Lord, to expose that in a manageable way that doesn't cause, a nuclear fallout for everybody around us you know but but to just say lord pull the curtain back a little bit on the depth of my sin there's this resource again my wife does biblical counseling and they're, they're this resource and maybe we can link to it in the in the show notes yeah. they're called x-ray questions from mm-hmm. from david Pallison, who's with ccf and it's like 35 questions um that you just dig at it, man. You just ask the Lord to expose you, you know, and, and it quickly shows you, oh, there are a lot of things I love more than Jesus. And so I, I think on the, on the relying on the Lord's side, um, realizing the depth of, of our sin, you know, that, that the more we understand that the depth of our sin, and the more we understand how how great his holiness is, the greater the cross becomes to us, that, mm-hmm. that, that, that just magnifies the, the grace that we've been extended on the people side and to release ourselves from the need to be everything for Mm -hmm. everybody, to, to, to be willing. So, so I think there, there's a type of person who's just wired to just go and kill it, man, just to go be the best every day and do it all. And Mm -hmm. to, to hear the freedom of the words of Jesus that, that we don't have to, to be that. We don't have to to do that. He's already enough. We don't have to be, and he's already, he's already gotten So we don't have to be all the omnis, you know, but, but then on the other side for those, like you mentioned earlier, Zuru, who, who have been hurt, yeah. especially by the church. Yeah. Um, to, to realize that the risk is worth it mm-hmm. and man, yeah, people are going to hurt you again. That's just what loving people does. But, the alternative is not good uh, that that being turned in on ourselves really does rob us of our humanity that God made us to be dependent on other people that it wasn't good for man to be alone yeah. and it's still not and it and it's not good and i don't have my theology worked out on this either man but it's not good to have your only Community be like in internet spaces, but like right. something about physical presence, and and being with a real group of people with flesh and bone on, and bearing your soul uh, to another brother or sister really matters, man. That right. that that connection, God made us for that, and and that we come alive when we're when we're willing to, to do that, and and it is a risk. It is not fun all the time, and you will get hurt but but Christ meets you there too because he knows what it's like to be hurt by the people that loved him including you and me yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so yeah man like I, I think um, seeing that this that Jesus really is the smartest human who ever lived and he really does understand how reality is supposed to work and he really does know that we're not made to do it alone apart from God or apart from people and that the impulse of our flesh and our self will always be to pull away, always be to pull away. But that true life and true freedom is found in yoking ourselves to other people and to our Lord, um, and and that it's worth it.
1: It is, man. I'm I'm super thankful that uh, we could get you on here. I've been blessed by this conversation. I can't wait for the Pilgrimage Podcast listeners to hear it, Brother Jerry, because there's so much in here that I think can cause us to count following Jesus as a joyful experience, though, though it is not without much, much sorrow. I um, Something we say on here a lot is that the pilgrimage is not about your triumphs, it's not about the duration and it's not even about the setbacks, because at the end of the day, all those things can be stripped from you. Right. There are triumphant <laughs> times in our lives that are taken from us. And there are uh, sorrowful times that even though the sorrow and the suffering always lingers and is part of our exile here, it, it, it can be um, offset by some cool, beautiful times. Um, but what it is about is the continuance. And yeah, we continue yeah, yeah. on the journey of the thing we find most worthy or the person we yeah, find most worthy right. yeah, or the people yeah. we find most worthy. And I feel like you just encourage me towards that. And I, I imagine so many others will be blessed by just your voice, by your story. And, yeah, thanks for investing in me and the ways you have. Uh, brother, seriously, it means a lot
0: man I appreciate you I'm always sharpened by you man I remember sitting together in East Asia watching our kids bounce on a trampoline and yeah. that that dude's thought about some stuff man so I'm, I'm grateful I'm grateful that you're still thinking about some stuff
1: yeah man uh, it's I, I remember that time too it was, it was really special to me and so but yeah and to you pilgrims out there uh lost and weary or happy and full Here's to painting a canvas of hope and light to our worlds. See y'all next time.